Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined as I frequently am by the head coach of swimming. Is it swimming and diving? Swimming and diving. We don't have a diver yet, though. Just a matter of time. <laughs> At uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Dr. Joel Rawlings. Joel, just remind the audience from the top, what is your doctorate in? I get no. I have. I do not have a doctorate. You're. You're. you're it, that. That's on you, man. Uh, it's funny because my dad actually taught here, and he was. He had a doctorate, and so I. Every now and then, I'll get the spam email from whatever the uh, vendor is, du jour, that they'll send me something for Doctor Rawlings because I have his email address because we have the same last name, kind of thing. Obviously, so. Oh, I. See. But yeah, no, no, no doctor on this end. Uh, yeah, thank you. Though. Okay. I'm glad that I've kept up my streak of making things awkward immediately right on the front end of the podcast. That's one of the treasured, I think, one of the treasured things that Swim Brief listeners tune into, my awkward yeah. intros to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you're all cringing. Uh, we're going to get right into a conversation. This is Joel's um, Joel's suggested topic, and we're both going to take a bit of a different angle on it. Uh, so we'll take our turns and we'll have a nice conversation. But um, I guess the overarching topic for today's podcast is uh, is we want to talk about what does it mean to be a a safe harbor in a storm as a coach in 2023? And, um, you know, I think the premise for this um, that you and I talked about is, you know, you have an athlete that comes to you um, and Maybe they're confiding context for what's going on in their life, really personal stuff, um, whether it be family stuff, friends, et cetera, um, that has just put them in a pretty vulnerable uh, position. And, you know, what what does it look like to be a coach uh, in our in our modern age in that what what should you do? What shouldn't you do? Um, and, and I guess where I want to start, cause I, I I'm, I'm going to start with my piece of it. Cause I think it's important to set up what you're going to talk about, um, is I think there's a bit of context to all of this that, that I hear a lot in my conversations with coaches. And, um, I think of a lot about in my own, uh, context, you know, um, one of the things that I do, uh, professionally is I do one-to-one -one coaching of athletes and uh, about half of those athletes are high school age kids. So they're, they are minors. Um, and I don't do private meetings with minors, right? Because that's not uh, in 2023, that is not the uh, standard for like an appropriate way to interact with kids that age. Um, you know, everything's virtual. I either rely on the parents um, to be giving me confirmation that they are listening in on the other end, listening in the background, um, or I record sessions so that the entire conversation is recorded. Um, and that's just one example of, I think, something that has changed over time. And I think there's really good context for that. Um, you know, I think the the context and those of you who've been following me reading and podcasting for a long time know that um, there has absolutely been a giant reckoning in terms of 
uh, abuse within the, the sports world. And a lot of these sort of boundaries, uh, like, like, a, like a private uh, meeting boundary, has been set up to prevent that. And the idea being that, you know, um, on the way to abuse, there is usually um, a process known as grooming that sort of builds up to the abuse moment. And so if we put the boundaries way far away from where the abuse can truly take place, then um, we do a lot to prevent that. And I, and I absolutely believe that. That said, that has left a lot of coaches feeling like there are, you know, there's an ever growing list of restrictions and quite frankly, a, a lack of trust in them as people, right? That, um, Another another thing conversation I have with all uh, coaches all the time is we probably I don't know if you have a memory of a coach growing up driving you to practice when you couldn't get to practice. I had coaches drive me to practice when I was growing up. That would be considered completely out of bounds. Now, I think about this when I have a babysitter come over to my house. You know, the dad used to drive the babysitter home like that. We don't do that anymore. Um, and I think there's good reasons for that. But it puts us in an environment where there's an assumed level of mistrust in you as a coach. And I guess the context I want to give is um, one of the mental skills 101 for life is um, accept what you cannot control. And I think coaches, I would advise coaches to accept the fact that you cannot control that broader forces way beyond you have led us to this moment where um, coaches are viewed with quite a bit more mistrust um, in general, culturally, societally, than they were 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and if you can accept that piece of it, then I think you open yourself up to redefining, and, and hopefully we're going to do some work on that, you open yourself up to redefining a bit what it means to be a trusted adult, right? What it means to be a trusted figure within your community, within your team, um, with the athletes that you coach, um, rather than going like, oh, like, you know, nobody trusts me anymore and this sucks and I can't, I can't do anything. I can't even coach, you know, uh, uh, in this environment. Um, so I want to give you a chance to respond to that. And I think we're going to get into some of the, I would say, more practical conversation around this. Yeah, I think um, so. Sometimes we'll have athletes come up to us and, and, and either they've got things that, that you kind of feel are warning signs or, or they'll say that uh, like ahead of time, like this is going on at home. Um, you know, like my family's going through a divorce or, you know, my grandmother just passed away or. You know, so obviously they have huge things in their lives that they're going on and they kind of bring them to you. And it's my 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 first instinct, you know, it used to be always like, you know, as a coach, you're like, I want to help. What do I do to help? How do I you know, and it's like, almost how, how do I fix the situation? And again, right. it's, it's 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 not a fixable situation. It's, it's not something from a coaching end like, oh, I'll just run over to your house. And I'll, you know, talk to your parents about how, how to I'll mediate that divorce and we'll like, you yeah. know, we'll, so, we'll sort it all out. out. No worries. You know, that, you know, that's right. why I make four dollars an hour is like because I can handle all those situations, you know. And so yeah. um, what what 
what I've kind of done, I remember again, I think we talked about this, like when I, when I was an undergrad, all the, uh, all the swimmers and half the basketball team would take a coaching competitive swimming class, you know, cause it was the easiest A we had. And uh, the, the textbook was one, like it, it showed like the, the swim coach in the center of this wheel. And then all the things you have to be an expert on from training to sports psychology, to nutrition, to like sports medicine. And, you know, that was like, you know, the text is probably from the eighties and this was the early nineties. And I think with the specialization and everything that's going on, and obviously we, we see how far out of the wheelhouse those things are, that I think I, I look at my role as basically kind of like the guy that's with the, the two orange cones bringing the plane in. It's like, you're going to go that way. You know, I did nothing to do with you getting here. Um, right. I'm just going to help you kind of go in the right direction, and, and then I'm going to get out of the way. And so basically I would just always just try to go, hey, um, have you thought about talking to counseling services? Because uh, university settings, generally counseling services are on campus. They're free. They're confidential. And and that's what I usually do is kind of broker it into the idea that it's like, th- this is a place to go. And this is a place to go before we get to, you know, the absolute highest end of the crisis level. It's like, let's let's go like step one, you know, if, if you can find time there to, uh, to and I, I mean, by finding time there that sometimes these places are just overwhelmed, especially after COVID, you know, the students like try and deal with stress and anxiety is, 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 uh, is through the roof right now. And so um, I try to get them to go there early on so that there's a baseline that this is, this is me norm, normally how I am during the day, you know, that, that uh, again, I've got stress levels. And then when they go back again, like, this is what I'm like, you know, at a higher anxiety level, you know, so that they, right. they don't have to kind of try to sift through and try to figure out what, what's your baseline, what, what's, what's the highest end. Um, but again, to get them to go there, I, th- I think is, you know, um, is is the the key is like trying to get over that hurdle of like, you know, looking for help. You know, obviously, I think especially like you have these um, high achieving student athletes that, you know, I will work harder. You know, it's kind of the swimming mantra. It's like you didn't get a best time, come back on Monday, work harder. You know, and so they they get into that, and that's a you know it's a good habit, but it's also a, I think a defeating habit when it's something like, you know, something again, that's beyond their control, like a divorce, like a death in the family or something like that. Yeah. I think I, you know, what I hear and what you're saying and what I want to highlight is it's really important as a coach to consider the subtext of what you're communicating. I think it's often very obvious to us on the superficial level, you know, like you have an idea of and a memory of, well, here's what I said and here's what I did. Um, but I do think that there is sort of a, a, a second order of communication. Um, there's a, maybe a, even a third order of communication and so on. Um, and, and you should become aware of the second order. And, and here's what I mean um, in the context of, of what you just said. I, I have worked very hard to um, be an expert in certain areas and expertly know when I'm in over my head in other areas, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have areas that I'm very confident in and very areas that I'm very confident. In I don't know what the hell I'm doing. in. And um, I think it is important to have both in, in the context of, uh, you know, mental health issues. I feel I'm an expert in knowing when I'm in over my head. Um, and therefore uh, pretty cautious. I'll give you an example though of, of a time where I sort of almost um, almost screwed up 
a, a couple months back, I had uh, the mom of somebody that I've known for a long time reach out to me. Um, she's concerned about uh, about her child and thought maybe that I could offer some help in in some context. Um, and I was sort of ready, like this is a very distressed person on the other end. I was ready to swoop in and get on the phone and, you know, like offer an empathetic ear and all that stuff, even though, you know, the person in question, like was not somebody that I was in communication with or had considered myself to have a close relationship. Um, and so I consulted my father, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I don't rely on him for a lot of situations, but he is a, a 50 year, uh, experienced psychiatrist. And I just said, like, here's a situation that I find myself in. What should I do? And his advice to me was basically nothing. Don't get involved. You don't, you're not a therapist. Like you don't know how to help in this situation. So the chance that you, uh, get involved and do more damage is pretty high. And so my advice to you is don't, <laughs> don't. And it was very hard. It was very hard for me to do that, right? I think as coaches, we get in this situation all the time. We like feel like, well, like I've been presented with this like big problem. I have to do something. And I think in all honesty, many, there's many, many, many situations where probably the most you should do is listen to people and Make sure that they, on some level, know that you have listened to them. If they're coming to you, there's, there is actually an implied level of trust um, in them coming to you to say, like, here's something that's really upsetting, and I am trusting you with this information. And it can be enough to just let them know that the information has been received on the other end. Because and I'm finally going to get to my point. The subtext of you trying to jump in and solve everything is is you're actually communicating that like they shouldn't rely on other people for help like we can handle this right in here you know this right. is right. this is the only safe place to, to to do anything about this so you and i we've got to figure this out like no <laughs> let the let the village in help um know what your resources are Know when you're in over your head um, and try to actually pass some trust on whether you think the counseling department at your university is perfect or not. Try to put some trust into the system um, because ultimately uh, I, I think it's going to be more effective than not. Yeah, I think that that's the hard part also is, is like, you know, trusting this any kind of system, because right away, we always think of the every time the system fails. Yeah. But that's because we also haven't heard all the times when the system actually worked for somebody. Um, right. You know, and I but I think you're absolutely right about that as far as like, again, knowing early on, basically step one, you listen, you, you appreciate that they trust you enough to come with this, this thing. And then I think normalizing the idea that it's okay to go ask for help. Um, it, it's like, uh, again, with, with swimming, it's always a lot different than, than people, uh, kind of think it's going to be, they, they always, they always think, well, it's like, you know, quitting is going to be the easy way. It's like, well, quitting actually for the high achieving kid is really super hard. You know, uh, right. 
not, you know, going out and asking for help. Oh, it should be, it's super, super hard for those high achieving kinds of kids, especially when they've gone through the system of work harder, you can get through this. And the coaches came through the same systems like, all right, well, here's, here's my athlete with, with their problem. And I'm, they brought it to me for me to solve. And, and instead of kind of thinking that it's, it's up to me to direct them in, in a direct, you know, the, the, right. the, a route that might help them the best. And I, I, I think back to like, like, when my, my dad had uh, cancer and he was, um, you know, going into hospice and things like that. And also at the very same week, uh, one of my swimmers was, uh, was killed by a drunk driver. It was like, yeah. you know, all within, you know, two, three days of it. And one of those, I, I started swimming masters a little bit, got in the pool and, and one of the guys like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. And you're like, you yeah. wanted to throw him through a brick wall. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for, I had to, you know, I, I, I try to stop and, you know, appreciate the fact that, you know, he's, he's empathizing or trying to empathize. But again, right. it, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, it could be, you know, my goldfish died. And, and for some people, again, the, the, the emotional attachment is far different. And, and I, I learned this from athletic training was every individual has a different threshold of, of physical pain. You know, like what hurts one person at a 10 might be a three for someone else, but it, it's still pain. And the same thing yeah. here, the, the trauma or the things that are going on in their lives might seem trivial to you or might seem gigantic to you. But I think anytime we try to put it in the context of ourselves, I think that's really when we start to go the wrong direction with that. And that's, that's why I think it's really important what you said as far as you listen and then you, you guide them towards some place that would that'd be a, a far better resource to, to maybe help through that. But again, you're, you're a great person to sound as a sounding board. I can listen. Um, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes empathizing is actually kind of one, not really a great route to go because you're, you're trying to put it into the context of what you did and how you handled it and your coping skills and coping mechanisms way far different than someone else. And I see that a lot with, you know, we have freshmen coming in, um, you know, and right around the freshman, sophomore years, a lot of times, it's unfortunate that you know, the a grandfather or grandmother is going to pass away. It's just, it's, you know, right. they're, they're going to be in that but age. They're at the age. Yeah. And, and that's what happens. Or again, someone, and then on the same, maybe someone's very lucky and their grandparents living to be a hundred and they've never had anything, you know, really catastrophic. And, and for them, small things seem very catastrophic, but again, it's, it's the same level of pain internally and in, in them going to the right resources is, is key. And um, just appreciating that moment of, of that they're trusting you with that. Yeah, I mean, so, so what I what I think of when I'm I'm, I'm listening to that, I, I again, I um, I want to pull out some of what you said because I think there's a there's a process underway here that I, I want everybody to understand. That's um, listening. I think, you know, um, I think it's a misunderstanding in many instances to think that empathizing um, means that you you know, offer some sort of like aid beyond acknowledging what somebody is going through emotionally. Like, and you, people extrapolate acknowledging the emotional state of other people into all other, all other sorts of things. Like, you know, like that you're, they imagine that they are like some high magistrate on the court being like, you are justified in being angry. And that person, you know, yeah. that you're angry at is wrong and a terrible, like, no, you can just acknowledge that somebody's angry. You can acknowledge that somebody's sad without like co-opting the entire 
like whatever justification they have come up with for their emotional state. I mean, this is probably the, the, uh, a principle that I use in parenting more than any other. When my kids get really upset, I acknowledge what they're upset about. I, I, I acknowledge that uh, I, I would say actually more appropriately, I acknowledge that they are upset. I don't tell them they shouldn't be upset. Yeah. I just let them be upset. And I can see so many of these situations where out of that impulse to feel the need to do something, then I would take an action based on the fact that they're upset when all I actually need to do is just acknowledge that they're upset. I don't need to do anything. Like if, if, um, if, you know, my nine-year-old is uh, upset about soccer practice. I can just let her talk about how she's upset about soccer practice. I don't need to like fix it. I don't need to like send an angry email to the coach. I don't need to um, gossip with some other parents about it. I don't need to even tell her, oh, like I can't believe that happened and that's wrong. And I could just say, oh, well, it sounds like you're really upset about what happened at practice. That's it. <laughs> like, and all I am reflecting back to her is I'm acknowledging that you're in this emotional space. The end. And, um, I guess, you know, there's that, there's that saying, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Of course, the flip side of that, which, um, a wise philosopher has pointed out to me is, um, what does kill you definitely doesn't make you stronger. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So going through adverse times in life um, ultimately helps you to learn and grow as a person. And I think if you can keep that in mind when people are coming to you and you're really upset, you maybe feel a little less impulse to, um, to fix things for them. Your job is not to fix things. Your job is to help them survive. So they can get to the learning and growth on the other end and just accepting where they are as they present to you, I think is the most valuable thing you can do in order to sort of help them start to get to the other side of it. Got it. No, I was thinking, <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's good. I think part of it too is um, appreciating like the silence, you know, where, where I think sometimes yeah. as coaches, we try to fill too much of that void and allowing, uh, again, when, when, like you said, when you acknowledge, uh, boy, you sound really upset. And then just, it's okay to go four or five, six beats without saying another thing. You just, just, again, just, just sitting there. And it's, right. it's one of those things where I think, uh, again, when you keep on talking and, and the, the chatter kind of diminishes what, what actually is done, being done there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just think about any situation where, you're really upset, right? And you go to uh, tell somebody else about it. And like, let's say they come back with that, uh, with that as a response and they wait those four to six beats and then they go, and this other thing, and you know, like, you know, sorry, you, you say this other thing, like there's one more thing that's really upsetting to me. And then all of a sudden they offer you some resistance. They go, wait a second, hold on. That's not fair. What's your reaction as the person sharing? Like now you're, you're deeper in it than you were 10 seconds ago. Like you're mm -hmm. gaining ahead of steam because um, 
you know, you're, you're in pain and the other person is like, yeah, but you shouldn't be, you should be fine. It's not that big of a deal. Like <laughs> you can let people move through that moment yeah. just by acknowledging where they are. Right. And, right. um, and you can actually help like not gain energy. And yeah, if there's something persistent going on, it's probably well beyond your pay grade for somebody else to discuss. If you get the sense that you're just like circling the same issue with somebody over and over again, it's okay to admit that like, I, I don't know what else to do in this conversation. Right. Right. But, right. um, but you can go, you can help them get to the next step. I think with, which is really one basic skill, um, <laughs> called listening. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. And uh, I think, you know what we got? Uh, we should go into a bonus topic here. Right, okay, yeah, good. Hit me with a surprise bonus topic, Joel. This is what I so, love. I love it so when we just freewheel. Well, I, I was thinking about this for, for like last night, and I was also obviously thinking about what we were just talking about now because uh, I read a little bit of the uh, the Swim Swim article as far as like, you know, hazing. And then there's an yeah. article the other day about like 10 things to do, 10 team building activities that are not hazing. And it's, it's one of those things where like, It'd be like 10 ways I can just slice my eyeball with paper over and over again. Cause each one is just like, this is just horrible. We're going to like one of the ideas again, was like, you know, you can do like trust falls or the, you know, everyone tell two, two truths about themselves and one lie to get and you get like, Oh gosh. And then, so again, I, I know on one end hazing's bad, but I'm looking at also these things as far as the team building. And, and so this would be interesting. I'd like to know your opinion is like, look at it as like, one of the ideas of bonding is is the activity. It, it, it's swimming. Swimming is, is a bonding activity. You do the set together. You're in a bus together. You're doing things together. And now we have to have like kind of like, a, you know, the bonding within the bonding of the bonding. It's like having the Starbucks inside of like the Albertsons. And then there's a Starbucks opening inside the Albertsons where it's just this inception moment. Where like, How many smaller bonding moments do we have to go through to get to this? And, and it's, I just look at it as kind of funny again, as, as coaches become held to so many different things and, and, and just kind of leading into this sort of the psychologists and sports managers, like now, now we've got to do like, you know, helping them set up resume skills, interviewing skills, uh, get faster on certain test sets, be race prep, prepared, good turns, have good bonding skills. And again, it's just one of those things where, you know, we end up micromanaging stuff so much that, right. that again, it's like, you know, kind of like in this is kind of tangential to what we're talking about is, again, where we, we micromanage too much to the point where, like, we're taking away their ability to, um, you know, fend for themselves or, or, or create these moments for themselves. You know, we're, we're like um, we're going to have a bonding moment. So we're all going to go out here. We're going to do our zip lining or whatever it is. And so it has to become some big deal versus just what we're talking about, like. You know, if, if they're in, in the moment together, swimming together and they're, you know, trust one another and they're kind of open with what's going on, that's a pretty solid bonding moment right there. You know, and I didn't have right. to manufacture it that, that much. Right. You know, I, I didn't have to go over the top and, and like it, it becomes one of those things where like, well, it wasn't a big enough deal. You know, we did zip lining, launched fireworks, you know, took a hot air balloon ride across. It's like, what are we going to do next time, coach? Like, how about we just swim, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're stepping right into one of my like passionate issues here. 
Um, and it's hard. It, the only part that's hard for me to talk about is, you know, some degree of my, my, uh, professional income relies on people sort of seeing me in that lane, right. Of like a team building piece. Right. Um, but I will say I am not a fan of most artificially like really, uh, structured team building activities. And I'll give you an example. I mean, cause I, we're, we're talking about team building. We're really talking about the relationships. Like, and most people, what they're looking for is like, I'd like people on my team to have a better relationship with each other. Okay. I just had my wedding anniversary two days ago. Um, and I will say there are ways in which, uh, I make my wedding anniversary and my wife makes my wedding anniversary a, a big deal. I have been hand making a card. Um, I've set such a <laughs> standard for myself for 13 years, right? Of 13 handmade cards. Um, but on the other hand, we don't really make a big deal out of it. And part of that is we've agreed philosophically that honestly, if you're making a big over the top gesture for your anniversary, it's probably a bad sign for your relationship overall. Yeah. You're feeling a little bit guilty about how you are the other 364 days out of the year, and you're trying to make up for it all in one day. That doesn't work, right? Um, my, my, my hour philosophy I, I, I would represent is um, put some effort into being consistent in that relationship the other 364 days out of the year and then yeah you can like look at each other and say happy anniversary and you can exchange your cards but you don't need this big artificial event that's like i you know now i'm stepping up stepping it up to an 11 out of 10 in right. terms of showing you like I, I and that's how i feel about a lot of these sort of very overly structured artificial um, team building events. If you're not happy, if you're as a coach, not happy with the relationships, um, that you have with kids on your team, or you're not happy with the relationships that m kids on your team have with the, each other, I would say, look at the, look at the breadth of the time that you are spending together. You're saying already there is an activity. Um, I, I personally think it's a good idea in many situations to, have some non-swimming activities that you're doing together, but you have to consider the time commitment that you've already like required of everybody, right? It's, right. it's not that you can, you can have this almost all encompassing activity and then go, Oh, by the way, also on this Sunday, we're doing team building the entire right. day. Be fair. Take some, if you think it's so valuable, if you think that it is going to like move your team dramatically, then put it in place of practice on a Saturday. Go do something that's not swimming with your team, right? Go do it. Right. Go, go like, cause, cause you actually believe in it. You actually have skin in the game as a coach. You actually have like some investment that says, I actually think there's more value to us spending time doing something non-swimming versus everybody being at swim practice this Saturday. And therefore we're going to go do this thing together. Yeah. And I think, it, I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah. The, the, when they, again, it's the, the big 
over the top thing. It always seems like, well, our, our team needs a drastic change right now. Right. So we're, we're going to go in the jungle. We're going to train with the, the Army Rangers for two months, and then, then we're going to come out as a team. But it, it was like every interview I went on, like there, there would always be the question, like, what do you do for, for team building? You know, again, like we used to joke all the time, like, how do you fix the stroke? Oh, you do 825s catch-up stroke, and then it should be fixed. Don't worry about it. Right. The same thing is like, oh, we did four trust falls. Uh, we climbed over a wall, and, um, you know, we, we did that human knot thing. Right as rain. You know, it, yeah. again, it's one of those things where, like, people want something quantifiable and measurable. Not people as in coaches, but, like, it seems like administrators, they want something quantifiable. Well, you did this and this and this. Therefore, you did everything you could, you right. know. And, and what, I, what I found to be the best ones, uh, again, were like, like we go on training trips, like they're, they're in a room together. There it is. You know, the, the best, the best uh, team building we ever had was it like stormed on a, on a train trip for seven days. You know, no one killed each other. That right. was a great team bonding experience. Or like, or to be honest, one thing we used to do was um, because like I, I, I would dabble in sarcasm a little too often, I think. And um, so with the, uh, the team, we would, uh, we just create these sheets of paper and just like, just write down something that you think about this person that, that that's pretty nice that you think you should, they should know. And I would yeah. just preface it with, if you can't write something nice about someone, even if you don't like them, if there's not a quality in them that that's good, then maybe that's saying more about you than about them. Because right. if, if a person were really that horrible, like they, they probably wouldn't still be on the team. You know, it's like, there's gotta be something in there and, and people would read this and also be like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing that, that people see this in me or, or believe this in me. And it, it, it you know, it, it always helped them a lot more. And a lot of times they, they'd keep it with them, you know, for, for quite a long time. I mean, I, I have alumni still hang on to those papers. And, mm -hmm. and that was the idea again, was when we did team building exercises, it was more like if we had someone on the team, like we weren't, they weren't the fastest. They were kind of down on themselves. There's something in them that they're excellent at. And, and so we would do something like, like one year, I think we did like, uh, we were on a training trip. like, you, you know, like the, the sophomores would make a dinner one night, freshmen would make, and all of a sudden like these people would emerge and they were fantastic cooks or they were like fantastic at like ultimate Frisbee or just something where you could like highlight something that they have that they bring that, that people have something where they could talk to them about a little bit more. Because when I coached originally, we had two different practices. And so kids wouldn't even see each other most of the season except for mates. Right. And so we, we needed a little bit of that. But I think sometimes, again, we have like so many things where it just seems so phony. And, and I guess that's the part where I'm, I'm kind of driving on when I was reading that article, like, oh, this just is so contrived. And I think when, if the coach isn't buying into it either, you're just like, now you've just spent two hours of everyone's time kind of showing that, you know, I don't really value your time, but I wanted to tick right. a box. Right. I, I guess so to, 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 to close this loop, I think what I agree with you about is that small intentional acts. I don't mean that you shouldn't organize anything to improve the relationships. On right, your team, right, right, right. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I think what I hear in what you're saying is that small intentional acts like spread over the breadth of a season or a year or years. I think have a lot more value than concentrated um, team building activities. Yeah, yeah. And, it's just kind of like and, and, uh, social media yeah. where, where you see like, you know, the engagement over the tops, like you actually had to stage someone over here to get the photo of you giving the ring right. and the shock. And it, it had to be like, again, dubbed in there and has to be like the music coming in, the birds release at right moment. And you're like, 
really, it's like, again, if there's all these little things leading up then, and they're more sincere and more genuine and, and your relationship is pretty genuine with the athletes and their relationship is pretty genuine with one another, I, I don't know if you really need, yeah, to, to go down, <laughs> go down that line. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I hear what you say, sometimes the team building activity is actually a, a money saver. Like, so it's a two for one. I mean, I, I was thinking before you even mentioned the, the sophomores cooking a meal, you know, for the rest of the team or the freshmen or whatever, probably the best team building I had as a college swimmer was we went on a training camp and we had to make all our meals. Yeah. We, we, we had to send one representative to the grocery store. We had to plan meals as a room together and then we had to cook them and yeah. like, we were a bunch of college guys, like, you know, with varying levels of experience and expertise in food preparation, but that was the only way we were going to get fed and we were hungry. <laughs> so we had to figure it out. And, you know, I'm sure coach saved a bunch of money on going out to dinner or going out to lunch or whatever on that trip or catering this and that. And we got a good experience of working together and sometimes a hard experience of working together, but, but, but it made us stronger in the end. Right. I, I, um, I actually told the team about uh, the, the story last night. And I don't know if I've told you this before. Where, uh, like when I swam, it was the first go round in Iraq and, and the, some of the people that are deployed were coming back. So we had Navy SEAL on our team. We had an Army Ranger on our team. And then when I started coaching, all of a sudden the second, second wave of people are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, he, he was in the Marines and things. And so all the 18-year-old boys want to know like all about, you know, what it was like and things. And, and generally, obviously, they don't want to talk about it. Um, but the, one of the questions they asked, you know, we asked like in the 90s and they asked again, like mid 2000s was what's harder than um, swim practice or boot camp? You know, he's hoping to kind of like coax out a cool boot camp story, like, you know, the drill sergeant just going crazy on you or something. And, and always they would say, actually, swim practices are much harder. And, and it was like, well, what are you talking about? That's crazy. He's like, because when, when I was in the Marines, like you have to do something that's horrible or whatever it is. You have to like crawl through the mud. You have to climb this thing, whatever it is. We had to do that. And it was like, this is going to suck. Except it's going to suck. Embrace the suck. Let's, let's do it. And you appreciate the people who are like, let's do it. You know, not the people who are whining about something. And in swim practice though, there might be a certain day like eh, three, four people aren't even there. Someone just side in the middle of the set, they're going to stretch or they're going to get out or, now it's time for some water or they're going to give 98%, uh, you know, because you can, you can, you can back off at some practice. And, and he's nobody's like, life is on the line. So correct. And, and so that was the thing is like, so, so they would always say that sometimes during practice, I feel like I'm doing this alone, you know, yeah. and, that, and that was, that was the thing again, where, where that the bonding moment was when all of a sudden you, you hear something like that and you understand that it's, you know, again, it's, it's not the, the glamor part of, of, again, like whatever the team building activity, it's actually, whatever the suck part was and you all did it together. I mean, that that's, that's the bonding moment. So like for you cooking, like, Oh shoot, for six days, we ate ramen. And some days it was really hard to finish that ramen, but that's what we had. And that's what we did. And that's going to be something you're going to talk about and remember far more than whatever the set was that day or, or whatever trust fall action you did or whatever it was is again, th those kinds of moments. And I think that's where we kind of enhance that. And I, I look at these teams like with with hazing and stuff. And again, I don't know the psychology behind hazing or what's going on. I, I do know coaches are always going to be held accountable, whether you're there or right. not. And obviously, you're not there at the house party with them to, to warn them. But 
but it, it, part of it is again what they always go back on is that they're going to hold you to um, you created a, a culture that that was allowed or permissible, and right. so I think and again this is just you know the p- past two seconds thinking here the idea that if you have a group of people that are they're um, involved with one another and engaged or empathetic with one another that maybe that's going to help as far as like not letting this get out of hand. Because of what I understand about hazing a lot of times was it becomes this kind of a ritualistic thing where you're doing it to prove that you should be in the organization. And then when you come out of it, you're like, well, I did, you know, whatever the hazing ritual was. So obviously this organization must be something I really want to be a part of, you know, kind of creating this weird feedback loop rather than I need to be in this organization. It's like, boy, I was humiliated, abused and did all this other stuff. This must be a great organization that I'm a part of, <laughs> you know, versus when yeah. you're on the outside looking in, like, are you an idiot? Right. Right. I mean, I, so I had two, I have two stray hazing thoughts and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this one up. I mean, one wow. of them, uh, one of them was in just reading those stories when the, 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 the most recent ones, Boston college, uh, essentially canceling their entire season. And I, I do, really look at that situation and think that the whole program um, is absolutely in jeopardy. And you have Texas A&M um, canceling half a season. I think about, you know, like I'm, I'm traveling to several colleges this fall and like among them um, I'm going to be doing like workshops uh, stuff around relationship building and stuff. And I'm thinking about making one of those presentations in the context of a team where, you know, like, Maybe two weeks before uh, some senior has uh, forced a freshman to drink until they vomited and then drink their own vomit. And I'm, you know, talking to them about like all these positive relationship skills and like it just blows my mind. I mean, it's almost useless what I'm doing if that's the context behind it, um, because that's such a a a toxic like tone setting for relationship between two people. Um, so I think about that piece of it uh, quite a bit. And then I, you know, you say like coaches are accountable for this. And I just, I, I, I read that too. Like I, I think Swim Slam has taken a pretty aggressive take on it. I mean, they started soliciting like send us your hazing stories. And I think I read in another one of their articles, like maybe these cases will be, you know, the final, oh no, sorry, it was Greg Earhart said, maybe this will be the final, the former um, director of the College Swim Coaches Association. Maybe these stories will be the final like thing that will make coaches take responsibility for this. I'm, I'm saying, what coach? You, like, do, do you think the coach at BC was pro-hazing? Do, do we think that like Joe Brinkman was like, actually hazing is good, let's do some hazing? Like, I, 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 I struggle with that piece of it a little bit. Like, what what exactly can you do as a coach in this situation? I, I really don't think that there are coaches that are um, sanctioning or even encouraging on any level this. So now, like we've handed another responsibility to the coach, you need to become like, you know, uh, uh, capable of KGB level surveillance and. You know, like when when the uh, uh, hazing alarm goes off, you bust in like a special agent and go like, stop the hazing, guys, guys, reconsider your decisions. Like, I don't what what is the expectation here? Yeah, I I, I, what I've seen in in the past, 
like, again, anytime there was even a rumor of something like that, I just thought I got a mortgage, I got a wife, I got a kid. And, and I've also kind of feel like I've told these parents I was going to look out for their kids. And I've always just basically let everyone on the team know, like, I, I will burn the whole place down before that, that happens. Whereas like, we'll right. just, we'll just start recruiting from zero again. Uh, because yeah. if, if that's the only way to get that culture out, then we, we have to do that. We have to yeah. go to zero. Um, but again, it, it's, it's one of those, you have to see it early enough. And especially like if you're a new coach somewhere, it's like, these swimmers are seniors like, well, this is our tradition. You know, again, they're not going to come to the coach. Hey, by the way, this is what we're going to do with the vomit. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, they're not doing that. But again, it's it's administrators are going to look for a way to just stop it right there. And so their version is that, that's your it's on you, coach. And, and so, again, yep. looking for these signs. And I think all the things we've always talked about is of having like, you know, just listening skills and being aware of these things. I think is the way you kind of, you know, suss out the, uh, the, the, the fire before it starts, you know, you're, you're like, okay, this looks like this might be a dangerous moment. Let's, let's, right. let's talk about it now, you know, take 10, 15 minutes out of practice, take some time and talk about things versus having to, you know, lo- you know, lose everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. I mean, I think, you know, if there's one lesson, then you do have to be intentional and very clear in your communication as a coach um, about where you stand on this. And um, I, I think you can't, I, I, I support you in what you said. I don't think you can uh, be too strong in your sort of condemnation. Um, and uh, all right, well, I guess that's a, that's a good finishing point for us. Uh, we've even addressed some news of the day. Dang, which, uh, could be stuff. good for the algorithm right? Or something. I don't know. I don't know how all this stuff works. That's, um, I just keep reading that. talk about technique. I don't know. I just come back every time. Like, yeah. all right. Not talking <laughs> all right. I leave the algorithm to Brett Hawk. You know, he's an Australian man with his finger on the pulse. Um, let's, let's see, let's see once again, if, um, uh, Nate at swim nerd is listening for, uh, for Brett Hawk. If you want to take part in the podcast, you take your own small part, be a part of the conversation, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on, on social, CD Swim Coach, Facebook, uh, Chris D underscore coach on Instagram. And um, that's all for this week. Thank you to Joel. Thank you to everybody for listening. And uh, we'll see you again next week.